Welcome to the City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. be here and uh and god is good and we got babies on the way and and it's just and it's it, growing church family amen are you ready for the word hey let's get it all right nehemiah chapter two nehemiah chapter two is there anything that i'm forgetting to announce anything that i should be saying right now because sometimes i sit down i'm like i should have said this that or the other if i'm missing anything let a brother know all right we are on our new series called rebuild uh, how many of y'all enjoyed part one last Sunday? Come on, it's up on the podcast. If you have not checked it out, you can catch up by just going to the City Podcast. Easiest way is just go to our website, ambassadors.church, click the podcast tab. It'll take you right there. That part one is up. This is part two this morning, and, uh, and I believe it's going bless to your, bless your life. Nehemiah chapter two, I'm going to be reading verses one through eight. If you're there, say I'm there. Let's get it. We're going to be there for the next several weeks, so go ahead and just put your, put your bookmark there, kind of just mark it, because we're going to be there for a little while. Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, uh, so if you have a Nisan, you're, you're blessed. Uh, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I sent a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates, that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal parks, that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple, and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted me my requests. This is the word of the Lord. Can we pray this morning together? God, we just love you. Thank you for just Ambassadors Church. God, thank you for this house that so many of us now call a home. And thank you that this morning your word is going to come forth powerfully because that's what your word does. It can't return void. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use me to minister your word. I pray that it not, would not be my opinions or views, but that it would be the grace of God that just transmits this message. Lord, I pray that every heart in this house would be attentive to what you want to say. And, Father, I ask that we would enjoy the rest of our Sunday. Thank you, Lord, for this great winter that we've had. And thank you, Lord, for the sunny skies. And thank you, Lord, for everything you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But also, Lord, bless our planet. And if it's too warm... Do whatever you need to do, God, because this is weird. Um, so last week, we kind of setting the foundation. Last week, we talked about Nehemiah. We're going to be talking about Nehemiah for the next coming weeks. Nehemiah is a guy in Babylonian captivity who hears word that his city, the city of Jerusalem, has been burned by fire. The gates have been torn down. It lies in ruins. And his city, his hometown, 
is just is completely and utterly destroyed. He hears word, and so he responds to this bad news with prayer, with worship. We talked about all that, and if you missed it, you can catch the podcast, like I said. But the chapter one, and we ended there last week, ends with this phrase, this obscure phrase, this random phrase that just says, and I was cupbearer to the king. It's a, it comes after this beautiful long prayer in chapter one where he's saying, God, you're awesome and you keep your promises and you're great and, and God, I just pray, blah, blah, blah. All this stuff about what he, what's going on. And then the closing sentence of chapter one is just this really randomly placed just really short phrase that says, and I was cupbearer to the king. And so I ended last Sunday talking on the idea kind of briefly that it's not a random phrase at all, but rather the position of cupbearer, which was his job, was actually the position that he needed to be in in order to get access to the king. And if he had access to the king, then he would have access to the authority needed to release him to go back home to rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. And so the spiritual point, the revelation there, is that the position you're in is actually the position God intends you to be in because it's the place that gives you access to the authority that is going to release you into your purpose. And that's a whole message all on its own. You are where you need to be. You are where you need to be. No matter if your position is big or small, humble or exalted, or if it's minute and and ignored, you are where God wants you to be. I think in a generation that's always itching for the next place, we need to begin understanding that where we are, God always has a reason for the place that you're in at the moment you're in. Always. God is never wasting time ever in where you are or what he's called you to. And so no season is a wasted season. And no place is a wasted place. No, no position is a wasted position. I've shared with you my journey of employment and how I worked at a, at a nonprofit that served people with disabilities for a while. And my job, it, yeah, it was some paperwork, but the, my, my main job was hopping in a 15-passenger van every morning and driving about 10 people to Emerald Square Mall to walk around Emerald Square and have a good time. Buy Auntie Anne's pretzels all day long and go into every dollar store and purchase stuff and then hop in the van and go back to the, the, the place and, and that was the end of the day. But, but, I, but I, I, and, and in the middle of it, I felt like this job is pointless. God, I'm called to preach the gospel. Amen. God, I'm called to preach. I'm called to pastor. I'm called to the kingdom. But then, but then God told me, but this is the kingdom. This is the kingdom and compassion is my heart. And if you can't serve the least of these, you're never able to, and you're never worthy of ever stepping into anything else. You see, until you realize God's purpose in the position you're in, you can never move on to the position you're called to. So you got to drive that van with as much joy and excellence as you can because your faithfulness in the small promotes you to the big, right? So you got to drive that van saying, the joy of the Lord is my strength. And I love this. And and I, Auntie Anne's baby, we're coming. Like you got to... Auntie Anne's a smack, though. It's really good. Right? Come on. Auntie Anne's goes in. But, but you got you to gotta realize that the position you're in is where God has called you to be. So, so Nehemiah, his job, Nehemiah, cupbearer. That's his job. That's his resume. Cupbearer. Bears the cup. Brings the cup to the king. That's his job. That's all he does. That's a good job. Right? Lodging, food provided. All you got to do is take the cup of wine, bring it to the king when he's thirsty. That's a good job. Right? Come on, that, that's a great job. Come on, stressed people, that's a great job. But the Holy Spirit told me, go back to that phrase this Sunday. 
Because it's not just about the position that Nehemiah was in that would give him access to the king, but it's what do cupbearers do? What do cup, and not just give the cup to the king, what happens to the cup before the cup is given? You see, cupbearers didn't just pour wine into a cup and give the cup to the king. Cupbearers had to taste the wine before the wine was given to the king to ensure that the wine was not poisoned. So if, if the cupbearer drinks the wine and drops dead, it's just any food that was given to the king, the cupbearer would first eat the food first to ensure that it was not poisoned so that if the cupbearer lived, the king would live. There are some cups that you have to drink from first to ensure that the person that gets it next will survive. Oh my goodness. What? That's a whole word. There are some cups that you have to drink from first to ensure that the people in your life who drink it next will survive. There are some risks in life that you are called to take because those risks are linked to the purpose for which you are alive. So you've been asking, God, why do I have to drink from this cup? Wrong question. The right question is, how is this cup linked to my purpose in life? That's a whole word. There are some cups you have to drink from first so that the people in your life will survive also. If you come from an immigrant family, your parents drank from the cup of immigration first. They, they drank from the cup of moving to this country first so that you wouldn't have to taste. So you would... So you wouldn't have to risk what they risked. They had to, they had to take, they had to drink from the cup of figuring English out first. So that you would not have to taste the pain of it firsthand. You still have to drink from the cup of feeling like an outsider here, but not as bitterly as they did. And not with as much risk as they did. There are some cups that you have to drink from first so that the people in your life know that they will live. Parents, there are some cups that you as a parent have to drink from first so that your kids can survive. All the parents said, mercy, Lord. There are some, there are some things that you have to be willing to do, risking it, in order for the people in your life to be okay. God, why do I have to go through the cup of unemployment? God, why do I have to drink from the cup of heartbreak? 
God, why do I have to drink from the cup of divorce? Why do I have to drink from the cup of that breakup, that, that layoff? God, why do I have to drink from that cup of disappointment? It's because every cup God calls you to drink from is pointing you to the purpose for which you are alive. There are some things you have to go through first so that the people in your life can reap the benefits of it. This is a good word. There are some seasons you have to walk through so that the people in your life will be okay. There are, why, why the cup of depression? Why the cup of anxiety for those that have ever struggled with it? I, I think some of us kind of have felt like, Lord, why me? Have you ever felt like that? Like, God, how about them? It looks like they never go through, they, they drink all the good cups, right? They got, they got all the great cups, all the great juices. Why, why me? And I think that the, I don't think that's the right question. I don't, I don't think it's why me. It's God, what are you trying to do through me? God, what are you trying to pull out of me? God, what are you trying to reveal to me through this cup that you've given me? The cup, the cup of growing up in a broken home. For those of you that maybe grew up without a dad, raised by a grandmother, raised by an aunt, raised by somebody that wasn't your blood parents, or grow up in a situation that was chaotic, I think sometimes you may feel like, Lord, why me? Why did I have to drink from this cup? But I would dare say, just because that has been your history does not, does not mean that has to be your destiny. Coming from a broken home does not mean you will always live in a broken home. Having bad parents does not mean you have to be a bad parent. Having a dad that was absent does not mean that you'll be an absent father. Having a mom that was always a hot mess does not mean you have to be a hot mess. Come on now, let's just be honest with this. It's just because, just because dysfunction has been our context does not mean that it has to be the, 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 the foundation for the rest of our life. I believe that the cup that you drank from growing up, and church, let's go as deep as to say the cup of abuse, the cup of, 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 of anything that caused you harm as a child, the, cu the cup of sexual abuse, mental abuse, emotional abuse, those things that scar you. I dare say that every cup of bitterness that you drink from is actually actually showing you the purpose for which you are alive it's not a question of God why me it's a question of God what do you want to do through me come on church can we celebrate that God turns everything that the enemy intended for my destruction he uses it for my good come on I dare you 9 a.m give God a shout of praise every cup that you have had to drink from is pointing you closer to the purpose for which you are alive God uses everything that the enemy intended for your destruction and turns it around for your good. Everything that should have killed you is actually giving you life. Every time the enemy thought he won, God got the final word. Come on, let's celebrate that the curse has been broken and life will always triumph. Give God one more shot of praise this morning. Come on. That's what God does. There are some cups you have to drink from first so that the people in your life can survive. And every time you've drank a cup and you have survived, you are living proof that if you can get through it, your neighbor can get through it too. 
Come on, if you walked through a divorce and you're still having the joy of the Lord be your strength, let me tell you something. There is a ministry on your life, ministering to people that have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, and you are going to be living proof to them that if you survive, they can survive too. And that's where ministry starts. It's not in the highlights of life. It's in the lowlights. It's in the valley that God brings you up and shows you why you are alive. Every time you've drank from a cup and survived... You are going to be a testimony to somebody else that you can drink from that same cup and live. If you walked through depression and suicide and survived, guess what your ministry is, brother? If, if you walked through the valley of unemployment and you're still okay and you're still faithful in your tithing and you've seen the hand of God provide, guess what your ministry is, sister? Every time you drank from a cup and lived, that is your ministry. Because the next person that gets that cup is going to look at you and say, well, if they drank from it and lived, drink up. I will survive. Oh, man. I may be hard-pressed on every side, but I'm not crushed. I may be perplexed, but I'm not confused. I'm not destroyed. Come on, I may be struck down, but, I, but I'm still going to... Every time we drink from that cup of bitterness, we need to drink... Have you ever taken... Remember taking cough medicine as a child, Robitussin, or any of those other usins, those other things? And you go to drink it, and mom is just like, drink it. And I'm like, no! And like, you just smell it first, and it just smells like straight cherries, and it's just... But it's not cherries. It's gross cherries, and it's just... And it's like the thing that is most, bit, and I have a strong gag reflex. Up until my 30s now, I still, uh, like, I just can't, uh, to, to swallow a, a, a Motrin. It's like, and to brush my teeth, I'm like, can't get too far back. Uh, but TMI. But the thing that's most bitter is actually making you better. The cup that is the most bitter is the cup that is making you better. It may be painful to swallow, and it may be disgusting to go down, and it gives you that shiver of that was disgusting. Have you ever drank the cough syrup and you shiver? Your whole head, that. But once it's down and in your system, it's making you better. Drink drink and cling to the promise of God that all things will work together for my good. The bitter is making me better. The cup that I'm drinking is going to be my testimony that if I survived, they will survive too. If God did it before, he can do it again. But you know what else happens when you drink that cup? It gifts you with the treasure of empathy. Empathy. Christians love to be sympathetic. Oh, really? No. Sympathy is, I don't need sympathy. I need empathy. Empathy means I can stand in your shoes and know what you're going through. A lot of Christians are sympathetic. Oh, no. I'll pray for you, but you know they ain't gonna. My dad said, say it again, so I'll say it again. They say they won't pray for you, but they ain't gonna. Empathy says, I know where you're at. Here's how I survived. When you drink from the bitter cup 
and you survive, what ends up happening is that you are gifted with the treasure of empathy. You are able to relate with people on a level that you wouldn't have been able to relate had you not drank that cup first. I don't know what the proper English for past tense of drink, drink is. Am I saying it correctly? Drank, drunk, whatever. You got it, drank, drinked. Um, drink, drank, drunk. Had drinked. Um, had drank, whatever. This ain't school, so. Um, there are some cups you have to drink from. Check this. So, Nehemiah, isn't Nehemiah great? I could preach on Nehemiah for the rest of my life. So, Nehemiah's cup goes to the king. The king sees that Nehemiah's body language is sad, but he knows that Nehemiah is not sick. So, the king literally says, why do you look so sad if you're not sick? And so, Nehemiah says, well, since you asked, like, I, I got some stuff going on. A lot of us have a, a problem with our mouth. So, so some of us, our biggest issue is our mouth. Notice I'm saying our, because I'm including myself in that pool of great people. For some of us, we don't think before we speak. So words are your strength. I think words are my strength. But when unredeemed, words are my biggest weakness. Because I will speak without thinking of the consequences of those words. And you are looking at me, but I too am looking at you. And so words are tough. And if, and if words are your weakness and your mouth gets you into trouble, and with your words you hurt people, you need to adopt Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 4 as the motto and mantra of your life. And we will be part of a club of which I will be the president, and I am looking for a position of vice president of this club. And the club is Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 4, that says, And I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I answered. That's the club I'm starting. I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I answered. For some of you, the best thing that you could do before responding your spouse next time is pray to the God of heaven, and then you answer. Can I get an amen? amen? The best thing you can do before responding, mom, pray to the God of heaven, and then answer. And the mom said, amen. amen. The best thing you can do before responding, that boss, that supervisor, that coworker who gets on your last nerve is to pray to the God of heaven, and then answer. You see, there, there, is, there is a time for crunch time prayers. There are some moments in life where you can't take a pause and go fast for a day and come back and answer. You get me? There is, have you ever had a crunch time prayer? Like, Lord Jesus, and you just go with it? Crunch time prayer. That accident about to happen. You're like, Father God, right? Angel of the Lord. And you, you need to give an answer, and you're just saying, Lord Jesus, fill my mouth. You're just giving crunch time prayers. Let me, t let me tell you something, church. Begin practicing the beauty of crunch time prayers. Right in the moment of it, call on the one who, 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 who you know is with you in that thing. Crunch time prayers. But check this out. We love crunch time. But some of us only live on crunch time prayers. You were loving my message till right now. You were like, yeah, I love me some crunch time prayers. But the problem is all you do is crunch. Crunch. 
Check this. Crunch time prayers are only effective in the life of a person who lives in full-time prayer. When you're living in full-time prayer, crunch time prayers are effective. You can't live on crunch time prayers. Always going from crisis to crisis, calling out on God that you don't pay attention to the rest of the week. Some of us have crunch time worship. Holy Spirit. You know what crunch time worship is? The 30 minutes at the beginning of our service on Sunday. That's crunch time worship. Haven't worshiped all week. Crunch time, I need to feel you, God. That's crunch time. There's crunch time worship, but crunch time worship is only effective when you live in worship. Are you feeling me? Don't get silent on me. Don't get offended. You're like, I don't know about this message no more. Crunch time prayer is only effective when you live in full-time prayer. Because chapter one of Nehemiah is a full-length prayer. The dude prays at length, ad nauseum, long prayer. Chapter two, it says, and then I prayed to the God of heaven and answered. Which means that he didn't have time before the king to give an answer and say, king, can you hold on? Let me go back to my prayer room, my prayer closet. Let me go back to my war room and get an answer. War room has to happen in chapter one. In order for chapter two, you just call on God and say, Lord Jesus, remember when we were talking in the war room? I need you now. Because you will never have power in this room unless you are secretly seeking God in the war room. Some of us never spend time in the war room, and so we're expecting power in the, this room. And you know what? God's like, I, this is the first time I'm hearing your voice. New God, who this? But when you're living in prayer in secret, you can call on God at a moment's notice in public. Because the God who is hearing you in public is well familiar with your voice in private. You can't just run up on God like that. Run up on God and need a miracle. Run up on God and need breakthrough. Run up on God and need him to intervene. The intervention happens in private. The intervention happens in your own time. The intervention happens when you are blasting worship music in your car and giving God your joyful noise. More noise than joyful. You're, you're, it's a, it happens in private. Because when you have private intimacy with God, you can then have a public demonstration of that relationship that exists in private. It's like couples that never talk to each other in private, and then in public, all of a sudden, it's like, wait, are y'all the same people there as you are here? You want to public demonstrate? All of a sudden, it's all PDA all the time. But what's happening in the, anyway. Right? So, my, my, my entire point here is that Nehemiah could boldly ask God at a moment's notice because he was a man of prayer in private. When you live a lifestyle of prayer, you can make a moment's notice demand on heaven because you have already, you've already put in the time in private. The men of God, the women of God of the Bible 
when they made a demand of heaven, when Jesus himself made a demand on heaven, when he performed miracles, it wasn't a moment's notice. It was private time that then translated into a public demonstration of that power. And my encouragement to you this morning, and I'm preaching to myself on this, because in, in, the, in the routines of life, frequently prayer takes a back burner. And yes, we'll, we'll pray periodically, but intentional prayer ends up becoming kind of a sideline thing, a back, of the, a, back of the, a back of the burner kind of thing where we don't really pay much attention or mind to it. But I would dare say that if we want to see a public demonstration of God's power in our midst, it's not going to begin here. It begins in your private time with God. It begins in your private times of worship. It begins in a lifestyle of prayer that is adopted outside of the house of God. Church, let's just be honest. Revival for a church does not begin if the right songs are sung and the right sermon is preached. It begins when the church adopts a lifestyle of personal consecration outside of the house of God. What we will experience in the house of God is an overflow of what you are are doing privately so church if you want to see your church grow it starts at home if you want to see your kids saved it starts at home if you want to see revival in the church it starts at home that's not on me it's on us it's not on the worship team it's on your personal times of worship if we want to see a collective move of the spirit in our midst if we want Sunday morning to be heaven on earth bring heaven to earth in your house and we will experience it here together can we thank God that his presence is here this morning come on and check this out when when nehemiah called out to god god filled nehemiah's mouth at a moment's notice luke chapter 12 verse 12 says this the holy spirit will teach you at the right time what to say oh man there's so many moments where i've had no idea what to say to people and i'm just like lord give me a word and you just speak and it's like god thank you that your word channeled through me is happening right now Folks, there have been so many times where I'm at a loss for words, where people are going through grief or through pain, and what can you possibly say? But when we call on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you the right words to say at the right time. Come on, I want to be a vessel of the Word of God. I want to be a vessel of the presence of God, that when people hear me speak, it's not Shane's words, but it's God's words through me. And I pray that same reality for you, that when you need something to say, you would call on the Holy Spirit. And have confidence that when you are consecrated unto God, God will give you the right words to say at the right time. Come on, have you ever been in those situations where you just need a word? You need a right word to say because if you start talking, you're just going to run your mouth. Say something stupid. Come on, let's take our time. Call on God. Not everything that you feel like saying should be said. Not everything you feel like posting should be posted. Ask the Holy Spirit how to respond. Not everything that needs to be commented should be commented. We need to measure our words. I don't want to give God part-time dominion of my mouth. Because the Bible says that these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I want my, my mouth fully consecrated unto God. I want my fingers, that type, fully consecrated unto God. So that every time a word proceeds out of my soul, it is coming from a place of intimacy with God that I'm not just letting out words as a loose cannon, that words that go out and destroy. And man, I'm, again, I'm preaching to myself on this because if words are one of my greatest strengths, I believe words can be one of my greatest weaknesses. And, and I just pray, God, I'm, I'm, I'm just a mortal man. 
But Lord, I, I need you to touch my lips. So that when I talk, God, I'm not speaking out of a place of anger or vengeance. I'm not speaking from a place of wrath or trying to get control because control is like my thing. Like, I got to release that. God, if, if I'm going to speak, I need you to speak through me. Church, every time I stand up here, do you know the amount of pressure to be used by God to administer a word from a place where I feel like I need the word first? I'm just saying, God, I need you to speak through me. I don't know where everybody's coming from in life this week. All I got to do is stand up here and try to be faithful to what I think God is trying to say. And you may be like, Shane, that sounds like a lot, but your marriage sounds like a lot. Maybe, maybe the thing that needs to change in your marriage is not your spouse. Maybe it's your words. Maybe it's your words that have been destroying things at home. Words kill. Words ruin stuff. Even saying the right thing the wrong way messes stuff up. Come on, husbands. So maybe you just need to chill out with the words and ask the Holy Spirit to fill your mouth. Because when the Holy Spirit fills your mouth, it always comes forth with grace and truth. Sometimes I think we think that in order to be Holy Spirit filled, we don't, no longer speak truth. We just speak ignorance. Oh, everything's fine. No, sometimes it's truth. But truth covered in grace is always going to work out. And you can tell when somebody's words are Holy Spirit filled when it's truth covered in grace. Because you know when some people just like to speak the truth. Oh, I just speak. I don't lie to nobody. But that's the problem. That's the problem is that you only speak truth with no grace. Nah, everybody that knows me know I only speak truth. Yeah, that's the problem. Where's the grace on it? Come on now. I think there's some preachers, can I be honest, that only try to speak truth about everybody's life. No grace. Right? So they have a word for the way everybody should live. No grace. Oh, well, that pastor speaks the truth, but where's the grace? And then some preachers are too much grace and no truth. So everything's okay. And nobody needs to change. Neither extreme is good. That pendulum of maturity needs to come back to the middle where it's grace and truth. In your marriage, grace and truth. At your job with that boss, grace and more grace. And a little bit of truth. Like you just gotta, gotta find that balance with everything. Come on now, this is teaching right now. We got to find that balance with everything. Grace and truth, grace and truth. Measure your words, chill out. Stay silent for a second and see if your words change. Sleep on it for a minute if you have time. See your words change. Don't respond right away. Leave that text on red for a bit before you respond with K. It's okay, they're going to survive and so will you. Some of us think if we received a long paragraph, we need to beat that paragraph by double. So we run our mouth. Man, I want my words to be few because the less words I say, the more treasured they are. Yeah. Stuff that's in abundance has no value. Big Macs are sold like crazy. And then gourmet burgers are sold more sparingly because Big Macs are cheap. Gourmet burgers cost. Any burger lovers? The more there is of something, the less value it has. The less there is of something, the more it's worth. That's why that rock on your finger, lady, is pricey, and you better take care of it. 
because it's rare. And fellas, that girl sitting next to you is rare. So you better take care of her, treating her like a Big Mac when she's gourmet. You got yourself a gourmet wife treating her like not even a Big Mac, a cheeseburger. You know those flat cheeseburgers from McDonald's? Drunk God, no meat. Come on, meat. Um, I digress. He goes before the king, explains the situation, what he wants to do, gives the whole rundown. And then Nehemiah ends with this. Because the gracious hand of God was upon my life, the king granted me my request. Check this out. Tyler, you can help me out. Every good thing in the life of a believer can be traced back to the gracious hand of God upon your life. I don't care how polished up your resume is. The fact that you have employment is the gracious hand of God that's upon your life. Oh, but I work on my resume weekly. I don't care. My LinkedIn profile, I don't care how great your LinkedIn looks like. It's not linked to the favor of God. <laughs> that was a good one. The gracious hand of God is on your life. I don't care what pickup line you dropped. That partner you have, is a sign of the gracious hand of God, of God upon your life. And you're like, what about us single people? <laughs> I'm married to Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Couldn't have said it better myself. The gracious hand of God is upon your life. Oh, man, whether you're buying gluten-free bread, rye, or that plain old plastic wonder white bread. The fact that you, it is, best, makes the best toast. If you have food on the table, it's a sign of the gracious hand of God upon your life. Non-believers don't even realize that every good thing is because God. We just have our eyes open to see that it's God. Because I'm not saying good things don't happen to people that don't believe in God. Sometimes we're like, shoot. Psalm 70, right? David's like, why do all the non-believers have all the blessings and perfect health and they never go through anything? And then David ends the chapter with like, but they don't know the destruction that's coming. <laughs> Right? That's exactly what David says. David's the best. David's like awesome because he keeps it, he keeps it real. And sometimes we feel like that. And that's okay. It's okay to feel like that. But, but check this out. Every good thing in your life, God's been gracious to you. And you need to thank God for that. You know what grace is? I don't deserve it. Have you ever gotten that promotion? You're like, God, I didn't deserve that. Or you didn't get it. It's okay, because in the life of a believer, not everything's going to be as you want it to be. But every good thing that does happen, it's God's grace. 
yo, the fact that I'm here this morning and I get to preach to the best church in the world, it's a sign of God's grace. In the church in Pawtucket. This is great. It's God's, I'm married to the most beautiful person in the world. What? I get to? God's grace. God's grace. Yo, you're so blessed. Realize it. Instead of giving the enemy a foothold in your mind and seeing everything that's not working out and everything that's not good and everything that's not the way you wish it would be, open up your eyes to see the gracious hand of God that's upon your life. God's been good to you. God's been good to you. God's not just been, God's been great to you. You don't even deserve it. And neither do I. But still he blesses us. This whole story hinges on Nehemiah giving a cup to the king that he drank from first. But it only points to a bigger cup that had to be drank by someone else. There was a, remember, you have to drink a cup first that everybody else will survive. There's somebody else that came later in the Bible that had to drink from a cup. And this person said, Lord, if it be your will, pass this cup from me. This cup of death. Yet not my will, but yours be done. But you see, Jesus is the greater and better Nehemiah. Because yes, Nehemiah just drank one cup and gave it to a king to do one transaction. But Jesus drank from the cup of death so that you would be able to taste life. You see, Jesus said, Father, if it be your will, pass this cup. But I'm willing to drink it if I have to. And so Jesus drank from that cup. And because he drank from the cup of death, the rest of us survive. It's not just a cup. It's obedience. It's not just a cup. It's submission. It's not Nehemiah. It's Jesus. Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Jesus is the great builder who heard of our destruction and our death, who saw the walls of our house burning down and yet left where he was to come to our rescue by going to God the Father and saying, send me so that I can go and rescue them. I will drink the cup of death so that they can taste life abundant. Can we thank God this morning that Jesus is the greater Nehemiah? Jesus is the greater Nehemiah. Jesus' cup is the greater cup. Jesus' life and mission is the great story. This isn't about you. It's about him. This morning, I'm not preaching good self-help stuff. I'm talking about Jesus. You just didn't realize it till now. I'm talking about somebody who left where he was to come where you are to fix you. And that's not a church. And it's not a pastor. It's not a motivational speaker. It's Jesus. And if you surrender your life to this guy, this man, Jesus, your life will never be the same. He will rebuild you better than you were before. He will restore you to who you were created to be. And church, your life will be filled with purpose and meaning. Let him come in and let him do what only he can do. Can you stand with me this morning?